One of these days, I'd love to see a children's Christmas pageant that includes John the Baptist. Could you imagine? All the kids are dressed in their cute costumes, angels with cut-out wings and halos, shepherds with their robes and staffs, animals with their fluffy headgear, and then in comes the kid cast as John the Baptist. Long, scraggly wig, coat made of fake camel hair, slurping on honey, chewing bugs, and yelling at all the families in the audience to confess their sins and get right with God. That would be a crazy, awesome sight. Like it or not, John the Baptist creeps into the start of every Advent journey, and this year is no exception. The preaching schedule, called the lectionary, always starts with his story in Advent week one, and he bursts onto our scene like an uninvited party guest. And we're just not quite sure what to do with him or his message. Let's just face it, John the Baptist is kind of irritating. His story is not at all the way we would prefer to enter the season of joy and peace and hope and love, but maybe in order to experience those things, we need to hear what John has to say first. Even if his message is, you brood of vipers, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Try writing that in your next Christmas card. Besides, Luke, the gospel writer, not only makes a big deal out of John the Baptist, he puts the arrival of John the Baptist on par with the birth of Jesus himself. My friend Catherine Willis Percy, a a clergy colleague in Illinois, wrote these words in a commentary. She writes, Luke also begins the story of Jesus with the story of John. Even a casual reading reveals that he intentionally shaped their nativities into a clear parallel, she writes. The angel Gabriel bears news of a son first to Zechariah and again to Mary. Both conceptions are impossible, she writes. Elizabeth is too old. Mary is a virgin. Each miracle evokes a canticle of praise. Zechariah is drawing from the spirit of the prophets Mary's echoing the song of Hannah. Every detail in Luke's account is crafted to assure the reader that these two babies, named John and Jesus, by order of the Lord, are profoundly significant. Indeed, the first couple chapters of Luke might lead one to believe that the two babies are equally significant, she writes. So there you go. Like it or not, John is part of the story of the birth of Jesus. And that means his message is too. Listen again to what he shouts from the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough ways made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. John the Baptist is here to tell us today that if you want to experience hope in your life, and hope in the world, then straighten out your path. For John, that means confession and repentance. That may seem like an odd, non-festive way to begin Advent, but Luke is pretty clear. Confession and repentance should be part of your Christmas preparations this year. Before you get to the shopping and the gift wrapping and the party planning and the attending and all the celebrations of a joyous and festive holiday season, we ought to think about confession and repentance and setting our paths straight before God. 
to make his paths straight. It's interesting that whenever the Gospels use the word straight, it literally means focused, disciplined. It means uncluttering everything else that might get in the way, silencing the voices that do not come from God. If you want to be ready for the arrival of this Jesus, then live a life that is right in line with God's will and God's purpose in your life. The problem, of course, is that left on our own devices, we can't live perfectly on the straight and narrow. German scientist Jan Suman conducted a fascinating experiment in which he took his subjects to a large open field, blindfolded them, and asked them to walk for an hour in a straight line. And without exception, people couldn't do it. Of course, everybody thinks they're walking in a straight line until they remove the blindfolds and see how crooked their path is. Studies like this have been conducted for nearly a century, and inevitably, people who think they are walking in a straight line inevitably do loop-de-loops in either direction. Apparently, there's a profound inability in humans to walk straight. That, after all, is how the Bible defines sin. The word for sin that is used in the New Testament is a Greek word which means to miss the mark. It means to miss out on living life as God intends it. And all of us have missed that target, unable to live the straight line of God's intended purpose for us. According to Suman's research, there's only one way we can walk in a straight line by focusing on something ahead of us, like a building, a landmark, a mountain. If we can fix our eyes on something ahead of us, we can make ourselves avoid our normal crooked course. And that's where John the Baptist comes in. He crashes our Advent party right at the beginning to say, the kingdom of God is at hand, which is a way of saying, take your blindfold off and focus on God and God alone. And that is the only way you can make your path straight and experience the hope that only God can provide. In other words, don't depend on yourself to keep that journey straight. Don't worry about the steps to come. Don't think you know which way to go. Stop looking inward at yourself. Stop looking down at the ground. Keep your head up. Focus on God. And if you simply take the next step when it is revealed to you, then you can avoid the crooked course and you can keep from turning away from God. That's where your hope comes from. And it all begins with confession. Back in 1780, John Wesley wrote a pamphlet designed to help people focus on God and walk a straight line of commitment to Jesus. It was called Directions for Renewing Our Covenant with God. And the first of the five-step process was simply to confide in God by confessing one's sins. Here is what John Wesley wrote. First, set apart some time, more than once, to be spent in secret before the Lord, in seeking earnestly God's special assistance and gracious acceptance of you. And in special, consider what your sins are and examine whether you can resolve to avoid them all, even those that most cross your interests and corrupt inclinations as the rule of your whole life. 
be sure that you are clear in these matters. See that you don't lie to God. How about that last line? Don't lie to God. Wesley believed that when it came to our relationship with God, we should keep no secrets. We should divulge all that is hidden and pour out our whole selves before God. The baptism liturgy says it this way, to put your whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Him as your Lord. So, during Advent, every day, this needs to be our first to-do item before anything else. Confide in God. Spend time opening your heart, the rawness of your spirit. Disclose it to God. And may your prayer be, look, God, you know, I got so much stuff to do today. I'm going to wear a bunch of hats and jog around from one responsibility to the next. But I want to do my very best today to at least make sure that I do one thing right to be as close to you in every moment as I can. Help me in that, God, please. And then, having confessed your sins and experienced the grace and forgiveness of God, you now have room in your heart to experience hope. You have new space and new freedom to enjoy the kind of Advent journey that God intends for you. And that includes a richer time of connection with your loved ones, the people who matter the most. Some of the best guidance I've ever received about having a hopeful Advent came from a book I read years ago titled Unplug the Christmas Machine. It offers people practical advice on how to keep your eyes focused on God and on the things that matter the most. So I invite you to consider these four tips that you might do as an individual and as a family this Advent. Number one, focus on quality time. Be intentional about having relaxed and loving time with the family. I know this is hard when things get crazy and busy, but it is the best gift you can give to each other. Quality, relaxed, loving time. Number two, put gift giving in perspective. Teach your kids to have a realistic expectation about gifts. Don't send them the message that the price of the gift equals the level at which you love them or appreciate them. And don't think that your value as a parent is gauged by your ability to please them or surprise them or fill them with joy with the gifts that you give them. Number three, pace yourself. Advent is four weeks long. Spread out the responsibilities as best as you can and don't feel like you have to do it all. Plan things out. Don't let the stress of gift buying, party hosting, decorating, or traveling all be condensed into one short period of the month. And finally, create family traditions. Remember that when the toys are all broken, when the clothes are outgrown, and the food is all eaten, down the road, the most enduring thing with your family will be the memories, the traditions, and the rituals that will mark them and shape them. So establish fun creative, and meaningful family traditions. You know, for all the disruption that John the Baptist causes when he greets us every Advent, his is a message that we need to hear. Confession is good for the soul, especially when it comes to getting right with God. So focus on the things that really matter this Advent and less on the things that don't. Prepare the way for the coming of Jesus and make that path straight.
Let's pray. God, thank you for the blessing of the Advent season and the stirring call from John the Baptist to repent for your kingdom is at hand. We confess to you our sins and acknowledge that you and you alone can help us walk the straight and narrow path of life. So strengthen us in the weeks ahead. Help us to keep our perspective, to remain humble and focused on the things that really matter. And may your hope come alive in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.